What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 104 of Misfits and Rejects. It's a really special episode. I got to meet up with an old friend, Steve-O Jocelyn. He's actually on episode 13 with his wife, and he's now in Thailand and growing his comedy career here in Asia. Asia has a huge comedy scene that's growing daily. All the biggest comics in the world are starting to make stopovers here, and he's at the forefront here in Thailand of creating a very successful career for himself. So I was really happy to bring him on and talk about the intricacies of just the craft itself. You know, we go deep into what it takes to build a joke and the different styles of different comedians and, and what his style is. And we just kind of nerd out on comedy. So if you're a fan of comedy, this is going to be a great episode for you. It's also very special, folks. I'm here in Thailand trying to create a life for myself that is location independent from work so i can be working anywhere from my computer in this world and i'm at this retreat right now that has just been instrumental in helping me see what i'm doing right what i'm doing wrong surrounded by the most amazing people who are way more successful at at it than i am but all very willing to help and and show me what needs to be done in order to take my online businesses to the next level. If you don't know what I'm doing online, I have a, a course called Perfect Your Pop-Up and Learn to Turn. It's a surf course. Um, I have a surf coaching option as well, which is called Surf Progression Techniques. It's where I take people's footage. Um, they send me themselves send me footage of themselves surfing, and I break it down in video form and analyze it and then send them a video back describing what they're doing right, wrong, and what they should be doing, and I pair with professional examples. So if you're a surfer out there looking for some online instruction, please hit me up. I'm always happy to help. Also remember that you can always donate to Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. Patreon's a platform that allows fans to support their favorite content creators. So if you like like Misfits and Rejects, you know, please feel free. Um, send a donation monthly, whatever it may be, $1, $2, $5. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. It's a pleasure making this podcast for you. I love doing it. I'm meeting so many interesting people. Stay tuned because we have a lot of new episodes coming out over the next weeks that are just super crazy and cool. And with that said, please enjoy this episode with stand-up comedian Steve-O Jocelyn. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I have a return guest, a good friend of mine, Steve-O Jocelyn. Uh, hey, 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 up and coming comedian, uh, Southeast Asia, who I really wanted to bring on. He was on um, episode 13 with his wife, uh, Jen. They're living in Cambodia. Now they're living in Bangkok, uh, both really working hard at making their lifestyles or dreams come true. He's in the really into the comedy scene. She's into the blogging scene. They're giving it another go. They've been teaching for years in Asia, I think seven years. Seven years. Now. Yeah. And um, but just what I really wanted to capture with Steve-O is just this idea that you don't necessarily have to make it first in America to be successful. There are, and I hate calling it a backdoor because it's not a backdoor, but it's like yeah. there are other ways to become tremendously successful, make a dream come true, get paid for it, and then approach the American market. Yeah. So with that said, welcome to the show. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm uh, really excited to have you because I've been now here a week. I've been to two of your shows. You just opened... For uh, Dwayne Perkins. Dwayne Perkins, yeah. A uh, very big-time comic, uh, has his own Netflix series here in Bangkok. And the subculture of comedy that I'm learning a lot from, from a very, really somebody special in my life, um, a gentle Russo, um, has just taught me that the psychology behind it is something that I think nobody really understands, unless you're a comic. Yeah. Because you hear about comics going to parties, and they kind of are wallflowers, unless there's a comedian yeah. in the room. Because then they, everyone gets, then they get each other and they can go sit next to them and be kind of who they are. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a, that happens every time. And so, yeah, yeah can maybe just let's, let's talk about, um, since you were last on the show, like where has your career gone to? Where have you taken your career to this point? Like where are you at? Are you making a living at it? Are you still in the hustle? Um, what's going on with your comedy career right now as we speak today in Bangkok? At this exact moment, I'm at the stage where I'm, it's just a hobby more than anything. I get paid here and there. I've probably, in the past 
two months from comedy, I've made maybe $200 US, uh, which, you know, is better than most people are doing, but it's still not enough. It's not a lot. It's not sustaining our, our lifestyle. Um, but I just, I just love doing it. So at my, at this stage of my career, I am trying to make that jump into headlining internationally. Like I've headlined in two countries so far. Which ones were they? Uh, Cambodia and Thailand. And so now I'm trying to get to like, I, I, here in Asia, everybody knows each other in the comedy scene. It's pretty small. The people who are, who stick around. So I have been, people have known who I am for the past couple of years, but I have not been worth a second look until very recently and so that's where i'm at now is where i'm trying to show i go to these i do like a feature spot like a 15 minute spot at a club and i just have to kill as hard as possible and say hey by the way i can also headline and i have these people who said who have seen me headline and will vouch for me because even though the you know it, there's no shorthand with like the accolades there are some accolades that people get you know you win a competition you place in the competition but you know there's a I think like four or five guys in Asia who have like Netflix credentials and then all the international comics come in and they've got, you know, Leno or Jimmy Fallon or Conan or Colbert or whatever. So those are, that's the shorthand. I need to get work on my shorthand where people know who I am without knowing who I am. So nobody knows who Steve O'Jocelyn is. But, but they do in Asia. I mean, to be fair, like you are yeah. not a household name, of course, but like within the scene, your name comes up and they're like, oh yeah, I saw that guy. I know that guy. I've heard of that guy. And like, and when you say Asia, I mean, we're talking Asian since like the comedy scene in Hong Kong, which is where you're going for your next competition. Yeah. They know your name. They, yeah. The, the guys there know who I am. Yeah. Um, Cambodia, the same. Thailand, yeah. the same. You know? So it's like, yeah, it's like you are kind of known in the scene a little bit. Yeah. You know? I, I've known, I've known in the scene. That's true. Yeah. But that's with comedians. Comedians know who I am because there's only like a hundred of us. Okay. okay. In the region. Saying. So like, I, but like, you know, Joe Schmo on the street won't go see a show because Steve O'Jocelyn's performing. They'll go because, oh, Steve O'Jocelyn was on Netflix. Steve O'Jocelyn won this competition that I've heard of. And so right now I'm just trying to gather accolades. Like I, Jen and I were on House Hunters International and on HGTV. So I technically do have an American TV credit where I do do stand-up for like 30 seconds during the credits. So I, I, but I don't want to put that on my resume because like, people are like HGTV is this guy like going to fix my fucking house during this set? Like, what is this? Right. So, um, uh, can you just talk about that jump you just mentioned? You know, that, that build up point to where you, you said you just made a new jump to, I don't know, is that a level? Like, what did you, what are you, what are you implying when you say that? Uh, the jump, like I, I have an act. I have, I have 30 minutes of material that I know is good. Because I've done it so many times, I've just beaten it to death over like the past two or three years since I've written all this good jokes. Like I've had stuff, older stuff, but that was just garbage. Learning how to do the craft. So the jump I'm trying to make now is getting that half hour, having that half hour kill for straight thirty minutes, and being able to say because it's a product. I'm I'm developing a product that says, okay, this is what I've got. I other people have seen the product; they know it's good. I want to sell you that in exchange for goods and services. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your product and the craft itself, because this is kind of the nitty-gritty I'd love to get into with you. Sure, yeah. Um, what is your product? What are you selling? So what I'm selling is my my like my like act. What's my yeah. act? My act is like I'm the uh, like dumb American. Well, I, I, I come in as a dumb American. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm a big, dumb, fat guy. But then my jokes are clever. Like, there, there, there are turns, there are twists, and it's a lot... Most of my act is a lot of misdirects. Like, you think I'm going to say A and I say B. <laughs> How silly. Uh, so that is the product. The product is me. I'm the product. I'm selling me at a half hour at a time. And hopefully people want to buy it. Um, right now, people are going to start seeing it, you know, for like six bucks. But that's I'm also on a lineup of five other comedians. Um, so what I, I want to be... Tonight's entertainment, like that's that's what I'm shooting for, is to be uh, a headliner at these shows so that I can make money doing comedy. Now, when you created this character, this persona, is this something you gave a lot of forethought to? Um, no, this is something that you just kind of felt like would be a natural fit for yeah. you. Because yeah. I mean, when you think about it, too, you're almost kind of pigeon pigeonholing yourself. Yeah, like in a in a from a career standpoint, like do you always want to be that guy? Like, or do you want to like try to at some point transition into another character? So the character, the character that I'm, I, that I am playing on stage is just kind of like 
exaggerated me. Like I'm, I'm not really changing who I am. I'm not really that much different from on stage and off stage. Like I'm not, you know, like um, I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff. That's much different. I, I think all of my jokes are funny because I'm, I'm that far up my own ass. Uh, so I, I like my jokes. I like the jokes that I'm telling. So it's not hard for me to sell it. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just more. I'm just more me on stage. It's just an exaggerated persona more than anything. Yeah, it's Got not. It. It's not like a, a totally different person. I'm just a more exaggerated, louder and and dumber. I see. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 clever. It's quick. You definitely have a presence that you've in the craft that you have developed. That I mean, is is on par with people that I've seen so far. Like you're definitely a cut above most of them. Um, when you're up against, you know, the, the guys who have the Netflix series, I'd say even like you can see that you, you navigate in the same way psychologically, because I love psychology. I can see how you're navigating, you know, you're peppering the crowd with, you know, maybe your B stuff for a second, which is getting a chuckle here and there. And bam, you know, you got an A one, an A jump that comes down on them, you know, that, that gets them and they roll back through and it's just you're winding through this like psychological path that I think is so fascinating. Let's talk about the craft for a second. You know, yeah, I am really into comedians in cars getting coffee because yeah. I think um, Seinfeld really does a good job bringing out that within the comics who come on they talk about the craft what it took the way they kind of approach it like have you studied this or is this something like I have yeah I've read, I've read way too many books about this kind of thing um, there's a lot of really good podcasts about this there's a good book two good books I can't remember the first one one's called I think it's called Dissecting the Frog is one of them, and it's it's just that it's comedians talking about comedy. Um, but I was like, well, like like you were saying earlier about comedians. When a comedian meets another comedian at a party, they just talk to each other. And I was actually thinking about this just on the way here. It's a lot of comedy is just context. Like you know, you and I will be hanging out, or any anybody you know, you're hanging out with your friends, and you'll have a laugh with them. But then trying to explain that joke to somebody later doesn't work. Because you're outside of the context, and it's like you—it know, was you had to be there. Mm-hmm. So everybody, everybody has that kind of that, that funniness. Everyone has that ability to be funny, but it's that ability to translate that context into something that I can tell you. So like I can, I, when I when you tell a joke, you're providing the context of why it's funny, and then you deliver the joke so that you you provide the con, you, you make the rule, and then you break the rule. And that's that, and that's like just like you know, the very basic of comedy. You know, you you think you're going to see a horse, you see a zebra, ha 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 ha, that kind of. So thing. when you're standing on the wall of this other comic, right, is the context the room, and you're poking fun at the, the the situations that you watch unfold? It's 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 a shared experience that that we we've both been on stage. We both have this weird point of view of of things because it's it's the biggest thing about comedy is having a unique voice. Like, you know, there's there's tons of, you know, two guys walk into a bar jokes. Um, and that's why big acts, like, you know these big acts because you know their voice. You know, if you're going to see Jim Gaffigan, you know what Jim Gaffigan jokes about. He'll joke about food and kids and stuff like that. You go see, you know, Bill Burr, you know he'll get angry about something. And he'll do all these voices and he'll straw man everything. Um, you go, any of these big comics, you, you know their voice. And so... The comic when I, when I'm at a party and I'm talking to another comic, we're just making each other laugh. We we're, we're doing bits at each other. We're talking about we could just be shooting the shit. But the whole we and when you're talking when I'm talking with another comic, you can go just super dark. I talk about the worst parts of humanity, just say the worst things about things, and they'll laugh because you you, you both know that you're joking. But if you're at, if you're hanging out with your friends and you make you know an offhand joke about something that you should not be joking about, they're like oh. Jesus, you can't say that out loud. But with a comic, they don't care because they'll they'll laugh about it. I've had some horrific conversations with good friends because we both know that, that there's nothing behind it. It's no, there's no malice. We're just trying to make each other laugh. Like I, you know, don't want to say anything on a microphone that I would <laughs> no, say to a comedian. Yeah. But uh, are comics always on? Like, are you always looking for that angle in every situation? And the only reason, like, say, for example, at a cocktail party that you connect with another comet is because you're, you're both in the same frame of mind at all times? Um, I'm not always on trying to make a joke, but if I can make a joke, I it depends. But if I, if I can make a joke, I will. 
if there's a if there's a lull, or if someone says something funny and I could make a joke about it, and I will. But I'll I'll, I'll read the room first. If we're having a serious conversation, and someone's you know, oh my dog died, it's like oh well, that you know, cool. I'll then make a joke about. It. I wouldn't do that, but if we're having a silly conversation or we're drunk at a bar, I'll definitely do a bit. Or not not do a bit, but tell a joke. Yeah, that dark side that you just spoke about, I think, is something that. I heard reference in one of the Seinfeld episodes where I forget who it was, um, was talking about what's strange about comedians is like the second he used an extreme example, you know, when nine 11 happens, all the comics in New York were thinking about how can I make that funny? Yeah. And that was really interesting to me, you know, that, and, and communicating that to another comedian is understood. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to be funny, dude. Like they're not going to be offended. But if you try to do that to a normal human being, that's going to take a whole different, become a whole different animal. Like, what do you think about that? I, hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like something tragic will happen. And if I am talking to a comedian, we'll joke about it as it's happening, as it's unfolding, just because that is what comedians do. They just try to make people laugh and they know that because of the context, they can talk to a comedian about it. I, I, there are, <sighs> as an example, um, uh, it, when Anthony Bourdain died, um, Jen, my wife, sent me a list. Uh, it was like 20 top things that Anthony Bourdain hates. And, it was, you know, like squid or whatever and all this shit. And I was like, oh, number 21, being alive. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Like, definitely get a giggle out yeah. of that one. And that, and, and he, he wasn't even cold yet. No, and, she's, and she's just like, too soon. Fuck okay. you. No, no, <laughs> not okay. And I was like, sorry. Uh, but yeah. but I, had, I had that impulse. I was like, okay, I got to. There's, there's this. The, have you seen uh, Nanette nope. on Netflix? It's, a, it's very powerful. It's very good. Um, but it, it talks about the craft of comedy and the release of tension. That's a lot of comedy. It's just you build the tension, you release the tension, and that's where the laugh comes in. Like I did that, uh, like the, the 9, 11, 20 bit. That whole joke is about tension. It's... Um, it's just about building those tension. Okay, he's going to say this horrific thing. Oh, he didn't say it. Oh, he's going to say this horrific, another horrific thing. Oh, he didn't say it. That the, there's it's not that funny, but just the release of it. It's like okay, we're all okay. He's not going to say this bad thing. I'm not going to have to feel this bad feeling because if you get on stage and you say, you know, you you bring up horrific topics. You say, you know, shushmorshin, the smaller cost. People, you could hear, you can physically see people tighten up. And then you lose them. And it's very hard to bring them back from that kind of thing. Um, so that is the point I was trying to make. I forgot. I lost my train. No, it's all good. I was going to, my, my mind's going a million miles an hour too. Yeah. Is there any comics out there that point out the obvious during the set and can make it funny? Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's like, uh, like Seinfeld. That's his whole thing is he's just the mundanity of life. And he, but it, Okay, go on, explain, because I feel like he even brings that sort of unexpected twist to it, you know, that you're like, I never thought of it like that, you know? He does, he does, yeah. But he, like, he'll, he'll, he can make anything funny. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, police horses and, and barricades and every, every, everything he kind of jokes about is something that we all see. And then, like, bringing it back to the voice thing, it, but it's his perspective. It's his view of it. It's like, okay, this thing is silly because of this. And your brain, you, you know, you, 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 you have that same context. You've seen whatever that thing is. And then when he talks about his point of view, I was like, Oh, I've never seen it that way before. That's a silly way to look at that thing. And your brain likes that because it feels like you're learning something new and that makes you laugh. Yeah. I think yeah. it's called cognitive dissonance. That's right? what, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and I love that, you know, like I have friends who naturally just have that. We'll be sitting there and like, I'll say something and it's just like the way they, deliver what I just said back to me. I was just like, Oh, that's hilarious. But the way I said it was not funny at all. Yeah. And it's just that clashing of the expectation versus the non-expectation. The ex the non-expectation makes even more sense than the expectation that you're waiting for from the comedian. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you do a great job of it. So thank you. You know, yeah, like <clears throat> you're here in Thailand, you and Jen, you're trying to make a go of it. Um, is there a vision? Is there like an end game? Are you going to ever give up? Like, how's this, how's this, how do you see this playing out? I honestly don't know. Um, I know that there are 
more eyes on Asia comedy now because um, I think yeah, like the Kevin um, Biscander, like three or three or f- fuzz, like four or five comedians from this region, from Malaysia and Singapore, have Netflix specials. Like, so there are people looking at this part of the world for comedy. And guys from this region are doing um, jokes in Australia, and there are a lot of comics. More there since I've we've we've been in Asia, there have been a lot more comics touring this region. Like um, Eddie Izzard's been here, Jim Jeffries is coming, Jim Gaffigan, um, Jimmy Carr. So these big acts are coming to Asia. Uh, Kevin Hart is coming uh, to Singapore later this year, or maybe it's next year. Uh, so. There is the there's the there's um, a desire for it. There is a market for more comedy in this region, and there are more people moving here because the rest of the world is going up in flames, and life is easier here and cheaper, and so it's becoming less of an anomaly. It's being less weird for people to live in Asia. It's, you know, you told you know. You tell people a couple years ago, I'm moving to Thailand. I was like, why, man? Everything's great. You're going to be fine. Now you tell people, like, oh, shit, that's a really good idea. Um, so the end game for me, like, I want to be able like, it, to, to couple it with the the blog. Like, it's all about traveling. Yeah, the blog is. Just yeah. let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, so we got we got our blog, twocantravel.com. <laughs> Please like and subscribe. Uh, we... We love traveling. That's the whole thing. There's two of us. We can do it. So we like traveling. Uh, and that's what I want to get to the point where the blog is making enough so that we can travel together. Because like, if I go as a, as a, as a comedian, you know, I, I'll, get, I'll get the comedian package, but Jen won't. So I'll be able to be afford to her to come with me so on all these trips. And that's really, that's, that's the dream. That's Right now, I just want to be able to, to headline in this region. So the step after that would be being able to bring Jen with me. Right. Yeah. And then get a special. And get a special. Yeah, if I get a special, then oh, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Let's talk about um, this being a budding sort of environment for comedy. Because, I mean, I've gotten, thank God, to experience something similar within a whole different niche, you know, the surf niche. Yeah. Um, being in Nicaragua for the time period that I was there. I was there pre it becoming the, like surf destination of the world. And then I got to see it grow. And now it's kind of on the decline, unfortunately, due to the politics of it all. Yeah. But it's a very special opportunity to get to experience. And I think there's not many people out there in today's world that get to really experience what it's like to be in a spot before it hits, go through that like rise of just, you know, star rising as like a comedy scene and then have it plateau or do whatever it does. What do you think about how does that feel? I mean, you have, you know, seven years of hustling as a comic where no one gave a fuck. And now you're at... They still don't. <laughs> <laughs> now you're at the forefront of, yeah. like, you know, a meteor. I mean, I yeah. genuinely see this place as becoming a, a hotspot for comics who are going to flood in here and try to make it as you have. And then, like you said, Kevin Hart's coming, too. Like, how does that feel? What's that like for you? So th- this... I, we're in a, a similar situation to um, when we were in Shanghai. Like, right before... Or actually, right after we left, things blew up. Like things got really much a lot bigger than they were, and then so you missed it. I, I, I yeah, I did. I really did. Yeah, uh, just 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 missed it. So which is feels good every day. Uh, so it's cool. Like I, I could see where this scene is at because I you know I was in Cambodia toiling for three years trying to make something happen, and what's there now is a result of my hard work and the hard work of all the comedians there. But mostly me. So, I am glad to be here because there are a lot of comics who are just starting out. There are a lot of guys who you know been doing comedy for a year or two, or even just a couple of months. And I'm I have been through remarkably shitty shows and just horrific things. And I can be some of like something of a mentor to them, which has been cool. Like here's you know wear wear pants, wear shoes, don't wear a hat, like very basic things. Put the mic back in the mic stand when you're done because there's nobody here to tell them those kind of things and i had that for a brief moment in shanghai and then i had to figure it out for myself in cambodia so um being here and being able to help the scene grow the comics get better and have the scene grow as a whole 
And, and at the same time, when there are people here who have worked really hard to get it to where the stage is at now, and they're still doing a lot of work to get more stage time because it, you know, a high tide rises all boats or whatever the saying is. The more stage time that we can get as a collective, the better the scene's going to be overall. Why wear why wear pants and shoes on stage? You've got to do it. That's, why? That you just have to. Okay, that's it's, just a it's, hard. That's just hard a hard line. hard rule. Okay. Yeah. Some I, of the other stuff, like you said, why? It just it's all. Is there a reason, or is it just all just hard line? Like this is how you have to do it to be successful. You got to wear pants. You got to wear shoes because it just looks. You look professional if you get up there in sandals and and, and shorts, which I've done. I like. I didn't always know these rules. It looks like you don't care. And like, why no hat? Uh, no hat because a lot of comedy is in your face, like how you react to things. Like you know, you oh my goodness, and you have big eyes, or you frown or something, and you have a hat on. If people can't see your face, you lose a ton of it. You lose a ton of your delivery. Interesting. Um, you always put the mic back in the mic stand because it tells the audience you're done, and and then it's easy because you know maybe the the MC or whoever you're handing it off to doesn't want to hold the microphone; they want it back in the in the, in the mic stand. And so that's just you know, just very basic, simple things that you know no one tells you these things. Like I I did I, I've read way more than I should have about all these kinds of things. It's like these are things you have to do: always wear pants, always wear shoes, even here when it's. 95 degrees outside. It's they got AC wherever you're going, so just suffer through the walk there. But yeah, you got it. That's that's hard, hard, fast. You can't. I love those nuances. It's so interesting. Um, different types of comedy. I know a little bit again because my friend Magenta, who's a budding comic as well, and you got she explains you got the one hitters, the guys who are just doing one liners jokes, and then you got the storytellers. Yeah. Are there different more types than that? Or is it just storytelling and one-liners? There is... Most guys are a combo... There's like, there are people who do one-liners, but you couldn't do like an hour of one-liners. You just you just wear the audience out. So you have to have... There's that British guy who does, though, isn't it? What's his name? Is like there? I've seen a British guy just go fucking one after another one-liners. I would love to see that. Okay. I would try to find see him. That. Yeah, I would, I, you can. But you have to be so prolific to do something like that. You need to write an hour's worth of one-liners. And a one-liner is like... 30 seconds with laughter. So you've got to write 120 jokes and that jokes, jokes are hard. And to remember 120 jokes. And you have jokes. to remember 120 jokes. <laughs> like, oh shit, is this, is this the part about the grandmother? Where am I going here? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I like the storytellers. I like all, I, I just love comedy as a whole. Uh, my style is more of like the one-liners. My minor, my jokes are, I like, as I get the stage I'm at to prove that I am funny, I have to be, I have to do seven minutes. I have to do ten minutes, and I just have to laugh, 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 laugh the entire time. I don't want to let up, let the audience let up, because then they're bored, and that's not what I'm there for. I'm just there to make people laugh, and I'm not there for the pathos. I'm not there to you know right some wrong. I'm there to just make you forget that life is shitty for a, for a couple <laughs> minutes at a time. What's it feel like when you bomb? Um, bad. Like bad. internally, like are you heartbroken? Like getting you know dumped by a chick? Like yes, it actually does. I I so I'm I've I I I haven't bombed to total silence. That's not true. I ha I mean I have I have <laughs> done that in the past many times, but like bombed to total silence. I haven't done that in a while. It's been a couple months, which thank God. Um. What's worse, like for me now, is when I get laughs, and then I do a bit that doesn't get a laugh, and then I get a laugh at another one, because I know that I was funny, but I wasn't funny enough, and that hurts. Like I, I did, a, I did a show, and I was just, I did like four shows in two days, um, and then on the last show I was doing like a, te I was doing a fifteen minute spot, and I did. Like, okay, for three minutes, came out, huge energy, three minutes, and then just bombed for ten minutes, and then did my closer, which is a good closer, so I got a laugh out of that. Um, and I was seriously just wiped out, and I was sad for, like, the entire next day. I was like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit on the couch and just, like, watch YouTube. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody. And she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, people didn't laugh at me. And she's like, we have you... You, you moron. How could you be sad about it? I was like, no, it's really, really sad. Um, but yeah, bombing, bombing hurts. And it never, it, it's, it, it, each one's different. 
because you bomb for a different reason each time. Um, it's always your fault, no matter what other comics play. It's like, oh, this X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, if you bomb, it's because you're not funny. Try again. Uh, but yeah, bombing sucks. Bombing. Really what does sucks. it feel like though when you get a laugh? Like when you get, say, when you get ten minutes of just pure laughter, you know that they love every second of you. What's that like? That's unbelievable. That's it's euphoric. It's 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 so much fun. It's it's great. It's it's really fun when you're working in a set and there is and, you, and the audience reacts to those kinds of things and they react in a different way. Because uh, like after after a while doing a set, you know where the laughs are. You know when to pause. You know when to say something slower. But when there is a laugh in a space that there wasn't before, that's special. That feels really cool. Um, and that then you and that, and that pushes you to go in that direction. It makes you want to work harder for that for that laugh, that small laugh, like that one percenter. Um, but yeah, just killing for ten minutes straight. That is unbelievable. How long does that? positive feeling last compared to the negative feeling of bombing like you mentioned whole day 24 hours you're just devastated after a bomb like how long does the high last from a 10 minute set of just like pure laughs so you wake up the next morning so like not as long not as no not nearly as long no not not at all it sucks huh no it's it's (laughs) bullshit yeah that's horrible yeah i was the same as an athlete like a win was like a thousand times less exciting as a pain or as a loss was painful if you follow me in that mm-hmm. like i would be devastated for a week if we lost yeah we win of course we won they were great obviously I'm, yeah we're You're great hilarious. yeah i'm hilarious of course these people laughed at me yeah <laughs> dumbasses <laughs> so you and jen had been teaching english for the last seven years in asia all over you spent the last three years in cambodia i believe it is yep. and you were just stacking cash doing your comedy but primarily making your income from just teaching, yeah, teaching we both, English. Yeah, uh, we were at international schools. International. So schools. Jen, we were teaching the full oh, okay. thing. Yeah, at math, math, history, whatever. math, history, English, uh, science, and another subject that should probably know. This it was only three months ago, but I forgot. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> just real quick side note: when you are teaching at an international school, all English, all subjects, what kind of history are you teaching them? The history of the country that they're in, or we didn't teach history. I was teaching third grade, and Jen was teaching first, so we did not do history. We is did. there history? Do they teach history? And if they do, is it of the country you're in, like Cambodian history? The, are, is there, are there history classes? Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. If it's an international school, I'm imagining, like, international students from everywhere around the world. So, like, are they learning history? <laughs> like, and what history are they learning? Um, I don't think, well, where Jen was, was, but they were disjointed. Their, their curriculum was, you know, loose to non-existent. So we were given, you know, here's the material, present the material, here's, we have the system, but, like, um, history, I don't know, I, I mean, they do learn history, but I do, I, from what I've been told about people who work with the public schools in Cambodia, they get kind of a whitewashed um, history of what happened, like, you know, the Khmer Rouge and all that stuff. They don't really know the nitty-gritty of the details, it's kind of like why I washed over I don't really learn the whole the whole thing. I don't know if that's true. I, I, I haven't been to one, but that's what I've been told. Is that the other? But the other international schools, I don't know their history curriculum. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering, like, if you have ten American students, for example, two Indians, and you know, you know, five Cambodian students who, yeah, um, are you teaching American history? Like, they're not learning about the Indians and like Columbus. We had we had social studies with the school I taught at. The school I taught at was. Nominally an international school, but it was really just for like the upper middle class, uh, locals. Um, so the kids all spoke fluent English. Um, but we had, uh, American material. So everything had the American tinge to it. So we, like when we had social studies, the social studies we would learn about would be about like, you know, the melting pot of America, all the multiculturalism there, or like about, Martin Luther King Jr. or about JFK, um, the Pilgrims and stuff like that. So that was, that was, that was the history. So they were taught, yeah, I guess they were taught American history more than, but we learned about other stuff. I I should remember, but. No, it's all good. Just a weird little side note I was thinking about. Um, but Jen, Jen didn't do any history. She she had first graders because her, her kids, she had kids from six different continents. She kids from Africa, Australia, the whole, 
the whole all high up or thing, like yeah. living in like better situations in the locals. I'm assuming like uh, I we sort of kind of not really. I'm not really sure. Hmm. I mean, the kids, the kids out of the school, we're both working at very expensive schools. Um, but my our, the school I was at was just catered towards uh, the local Khmer people, and hers was in all of the um, embassies. The embassies recommended those schools, so that's where a lot of the embassy kids ended up. At I, see. School, yeah. I see. Let's quickly touch upon um, the up-and-coming competition that you're about to fly to yeah. in Hong Kong. What's that all about? Um, let's talk about it. Sure, yeah. Um, so the competition is they got 30 comics from all over the world. I think there's guys flying in from the U.S. and from, uh, I think even from England. And were you invited? Uh, nope, I had to apply. I had to apply. I actually had one of the comics in Hong Kong. Because to keep, to keep numbers down, you have to send in a physical piece of paper. Like you have to mail it in to the guy, and then he'll contact you for some, some tape. And then he'll let you know if you're in. So um, I had a guy, I met a, one of the guys from Hong Kong, was here in Bangkok for another competition a few months ago, which I which I also lost. Um, so he, I said, hey, man, will you print it out and forge my signature on, you know, this piece of paper and any tax documents you need? And he handed, he just literally just handed it to the promoter. And then he sent me a message on Facebook. I think this is the day before they were due. He said, hey, man, send me some tape. And then I'll let you know if you can get in. And so I sent him like a five-minute spot I had done a couple of months ago. And then I found out I was in the day, the next day. So that was pretty cool. So, there's, uh, yeah, so it's 30 comics from all over the world, all mailed in. They got their applications in. Got some guys in the scene in China. Um, he, a couple of guys, I think two or three comics from here. Um, U.S., Canada, U.K., guys from the Hong Kong scene. I think a couple of guys from the Japanese Japan scene. Are these all Westerners, like white guys, or? Uh, nope. There's 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 a there's a Chinese guy. Um, there's doing it in English though. All in English. It's all in English. I think I don't think anybody does any language. But there are there are comics who do a lot. There are a lot of language puns in um, comedy in this region, but not on the competition stage. I don't think. I see. I'll see. I'll let you know. Great. I'm <laughs> yeah. looking forward to it. And, yeah. and, and can we watch it? Like, is there a place that we could like watch you do this competition I on TV or YouTube or something like that? I think so. I don't think they live stream it. Uh, there's the prelims are 18, 19, 20. I think that's right. Of this month. And this then is the a finals. multiple day event. Well, the, the each, oh, I'm sorry. So there's 10 on 10, 10. You said they do competitions of 10 people doing seven minutes each. And they pick the top three out of the three nights. And so then the top nine go to the finals on the next weekend. And what's grand prize? I, it's a, it's a lot of money. I don't remember the exchange rate, but it's a couple grand. That's great. I mean, that's yeah. say you And you get, you get invited to do sets, um, at some comedy clubs in the States. I think some like in LA and New York. And, uh, I think you get to do one at the cellar. The cellar's a big place. Comedy Star. It's like the best, yeah, one of the best comedy clubs in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Why? Just it's because everybody's gotten their start there. It's historically, it's historically, it's just, yeah. Like you know, it's one of those, it's one of those places you could go in to go see a regular show, and then like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle show up or something. It's one of those just stories. So they don't really stories. tell you who's going to be, or they tell you, you but then no, you, you should... don't. You actually you don't know until you walk in, and it's like you see, like I like I saw, um, we went to see one at the Village Underground because they were shooting a. TV show, they're shooting um, uh, Crashing, uh, Pete Holmes show at the actual Comedy Cellar, but they have another space around the corner called the Village Underground, and it looks it looks basically the same. Um, but we walk in, and we see the we see the lineup, and we got to see uh, Mark Norman, who's one of my favorite comedians, and it was like he's a real it's a real guy. That was that was really he was one of my favorite one of my favorite joke writers. Mark Norman. I want to put them in the show notes for all the audience to look him up. Yeah, definitely. He's 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 hilarious. Great, yeah, so great joke he's your favorite, like all time favorite, Mark Norman. He's one of my all time. He's one of my favorite like guys I'd recently found out about. He's hilarious. What about Bill Cosby? <laughs> uh, you know, not so much. You know, didn't like his brand of humor. I mean, because to be fair, like he was a very good stand up. Oh, guy. he was. He was that. That it's. It's weird seeing everybody, like, even, like, in the five years ago, while these, I mean, these people, this has been an open secret for years. Like, ever, there have been, there have been jokes being made about this since the 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, in old, it's old sitcoms, there are jokes about it. In uh, 30 Rock, 
they made a joke about it like 10 plus years ago. About about his about well what he did he's a rapist so what he did no way yeah there's jokes about that um, so it's been an open secret for years and just no one did anything about it like they didn't there wasn't this movement to bring down Cosby which means I mean he didn't bring him down he brought himself down because he's a you know a miserable rapist yeah but um, yeah so, so favorite his, comic though like. Is uh, Mark Norman, and then who else? Mark Norman, uh, Anthony Jesselnick. He's a great joke writer. He's very funny, very dark, very very dark, um, but hilarious. Just it, it, he's he's got he's he's the kind of uh, persona. It's it's obvious from the get go that he is joking, and that they are all jokes, and it's okay. He gives his persona gives you license to laugh at the horrible things he says. And that's a really cool thing that he's able to do right off the bat as soon as he gets on stage. Um, he's great. Um, I really like... Who else do I like? I mean, you're not naming the Chappelle's, the Rocks. The... Yeah, well, of course, like all those guys. You know, the, of yeah. course, though, really? Is that something that you just say, of course I like those guys? Yeah, you, got, you have to. I mean, they're, they're unbelievable at the craft. They're... they're, <laughs> they're so good at what they do. You know, it's it's, you know, I like... Do you like painting? Of course, you like Rembrandt. You like you know those guys. You like you like those those are the the you know the Mount Rushmore of comedy. Like you like you like George Carlin as a comedian. You might not appreciate all of his humor, but you you know him. You've seen it, and you have to know these guys because they are the touchstones of what comedy has been for the past thirty years. Like from like you know in the eighties there was a crash. There was a, you know comedy was a huge industry in like the early to mid eighties. Everywhere, you know, gas stations had comedy clubs. And then the market became so saturated that the thing just imploded on itself. Interesting. I hadn't ever thought about that. Yeah. And so that's when these guys came through and they were actually, and it, what it was is, um, you know, you, like the old Steve, Mar Steve Martin's act was like, he had this ironic remove from how silly his jokes were. And that was obvious. He was like, just like, like Jessamick is able to say, I'm a bad person. We're all bad people. Let's laugh at these horrible things I'm saying. And he gets away with that. Steve Martin was able to be really silly and really goofy and tell like silly, dumb jokes. But he had that ironic remove. And so people were, were okay to laugh at it. And then people started to imitate it, but they didn't have his craft. They didn't have his talent. And so it was just, you know, bad Jerry Seinfeld impressions and silly news anchors kind of thing for years. And that just died a, died a horrible death. And so these guys in the late 80s and early 90s had to rebuild what comedy was. And so these guys are like, okay, they have been doing this thing that I want to do for so many years. How can I learn from watching them? And how can I not imitate it, but do something similar? That's so interesting. So, I mean, are you imitating? Are you building off of the forefathers of the craft? I learn something new every time I see a new comedian or like I can see what they're doing and then not try to copy because it's mostly formulas. Like it's, you know, A plus B equals A, B or equals C or whatever. So I'm not trying to copy their... I really try to copy the formula, like the way... I'm not copy their voice, but the craft, the, the um, build of the joke. Like how how do they put together the joke? What are the building blocks of the joke? Because then I can take the same building blocks and build my own joke, and so it's in, in my own voice, but it follows the same beats, right? Or the same the same tension, or the same, or maybe even the same like uh, topic. Mm -hmm. Like they'll make a joke about some premise, and I'm like, okay, that's a great premise, but I can write a better, or, no, or not a better joke, but a different joke about that same idea. And so I would kind of not copy their idea. Idea and where they're going with it, I would just take like, okay, I, I, I see, I can see why that's funny. Could I write something funny about that too? So speaking of like technique, is there like a certain formula or numbers, like say four formulas that are just rotated that all comics use structurally as they build a joke that so you can maybe, if someone really wanted to and got super nerded out on it, could you like identify? Um, or is it like the building blocks are, you know, all randomly placed, then you take, you know, building block D and put it here and combine that with C and then E falls, you know, down the line over here. 
and you build your jokes just through different combinations of the building blocks that have been laid by other comics. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what it usually ends up being is I'll have some funny phrase or some funny thing to say, and then I'll build a joke around that. Like, how can I get to the point where I'm talking about this funny thing as quickly as possible? How can I build a premise so that I can then get into this character or into this line of like these 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 jokes? Um, so, like, real really, it's just a like, like take a take a an example from improv. It's you or um, from sketch. You you make the rule, you break the rule, and so like I got that I have this bit about where I say um, um, I'm very tolerant for a white devil, but there are some things I like apart but not together, which is also it's just, it's just nonsense. So I can start telling this joke. Um, so like I like butts and I like sex, but I don't like butt sex. And so I, I the rule is there is a plus b equals a b, and so everybody knows that. Everybody knows the rule now. And then I say, I like 9, and I like 11. And so everyone's expecting I was going to say 9, 11. And then I say, I don't like 20. And so I get, so that A plus B equals C. So I made the rule, I break the rule. And then I say, I like black people. And everyone's expecting this horrific, they don't know what's going to happen. And then I say, and that's the end of the joke. And that releases the tension. I just build the tension there, and then release the tension so it gets the laugh. So I get three different kinds of laughs. And that's three combinations of the building blocks you just talked about. Yeah. So uh-huh. that's, so it's, it's, it's A, yeah, so... There's the rule, like the not, that's the premise. The, really, the premise of that joke is the, the butt sex part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just Billy, okay, this is, this is what the joke's gonna be. Just kidding, it's this other thing, and then now here's this weird, this non sequitur, essentially. And so those are like three examples of jokes. It's like just saying a bad word, people will laugh. Like if, if you don't, you can tell a comic is not confident in their punchline when it's, when they say fuck in the punchline. It's, you know, like, fucking women, am I right? Uh, you'll get a laugh because you said fuck. But, can I say fuck? I didn't... Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> Cuss away. But okay. sex works too. Anal yeah, because I said butt sex too. Like, I don't know why I'm asking if I can say fuck now. Yeah. Um, that is awesome, and thank yeah. you for being so articulate in the way you described that, because now it makes total sense to me. Right, yeah, because now, but now it's, now it's not funny. Yeah. But it is, I mean, because yeah. it's the delivery. Like, yeah, the formula, okay. like, because I do, you know, serve techniques, and the formula's always there. And it takes people who really want to understand the craft, like comedy, like surfing, who they can identify the building blocks in order for you to execute. And once, yeah. once you understand the building blocks, then you can add your original content. You can, you know, shape and everyone, mix and match the building blocks. And that's how it becomes original. And that's how you put your signature of Steve O. Jocelyn on it, you know. But the building blocks are always going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Jokes, jokes have been jokes for thousands of years. Yeah. 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 Super cool. Um, where can people find you? Let's talk about the comedy clubs that you're going to be in and just give people a, a really good idea where they can find you, where on online or in person. Sure. Uh, in person, right now I'm based in Bangkok, so I'm doing a lot of comedy there. Uh, we've got the comedy club Bangkok that does stand up every other Friday. The other Fridays they do improv, and that's the end of that. Um, comedy House Bangkok, we do shows over on Kalsan Road. we got three a night. Going at the, we got a seven, a nine, and an eleven o'clock show. We're doing that on Tuesday, Wednesday, hoping to expand onto other nights of the week. Uh, there's raw comedy on Wednesday nights at the Sportsman at the Live. No, that's not at the Sportsman. That's at the Live Lounge, at the Live Lounge on Soy Thirteen, um, and that's on Wednesday nights. That's a that's an open mic. So if you want to see the latest and greatest from Bangkok's uh, comedy scene, that's where you'll see that. Um, I'll be at Takeout Comedy for the Hong Kong Comedy Competition. I'm on Friday, which I'm pretty sure is the 19th. I hope that uh, that's right. It's October right. 19th. We'll fix that in post. Yep. And uh, so hopefully, and hopefully that goes well. So come out there and only laugh for me. Don't laugh at anybody else. If you is that how the they show. judge by laughter? They have. I think it's by the every competition is different, um, but usually they have three judges. One's a comedian, one's a sponsor, and one's just like another performer, like a musician or a poet or something. And they grade you on uh, originality, um, stage presence, audience reaction, and usually like a fourth nebulous thing. But that's usually that's like as as scientific as they can get. But it's mostly a popularity contest. Yeah. Cool. 
So, and then your um, online handles are you know Twitter at Steve Jocelyn, Facebook uh, at Steve Jocelyn Comedy. Yep. Um, Instagram at Steve Jocelyn. That's me. All will be in the show notes. Um, that's it. We're good. That's that's all we need to plug. Uh, yeah, twocantravel.com. Twocantravel.com. Yeah. Yes, your wife's uh, blog, which you're yeah. very heavily involved I'm, with yep, as well. I'm involved there. I'm the, I'm the, the back end guy. <laughs> I was going to try to think of a better way to say that. But, uh, <laughs> right on, I'm, dude. I'm Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thanks it. for having me. Yeah, I really, this was an awesome show. Dude. Cheers, man. Appreciate yeah. Talk well. Awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on and being so articulate and taking us through the craft of comedy. We really appreciate you. Please remember to follow me on Instagram. I'm posting a lot of my adventures over here in Thailand, really helping you see that I'm grinding, trying to make this lifestyle design thing work for myself. I live a good life, but I definitely have ambitions and goals and want to be location independent from work, making money anywhere in the world from my laptop. I'm doing that via surf coaching online. I have a course I've created called Perfect Your Pop-Up and Learn to Turn. I also work with individual surfers. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone and hit subscribe. And please comment if you like Misfits and Rejects, if you like the message. It helps me in the ratings, and I really appreciate it. If you want to give a monthly donation, you can do it on Patreon at Misfits and Rejects. It's a platform that helps people like myself just receive donations from fans. So it's small donations, whatever you want, $5, $10 a month. Obviously, nothing's expected. I love doing this for you guys, and all these stories inspire the heck out of me, which is why I keep doing them. So please feel free to keep listening. I love having you comment, though. Let me know what you like and what I could do better. Um, so you can always just reach out at chapin at misfitsandrejects.com. And until next time, please remember, I think you all are so very beautiful. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.